For every tech startup, the aim is to reach that billion dollar valuation level. But how do you get there? And exactly how difficult is the path to reaching unicorn status? We'll find out from someone who's actually done it. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me, as always, is Kelsey Warner, the Nationals Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. Good to be here. It's very good to have you here. And also, uh, I'm very happy to say, in the studio is Ankur Shah, who was formerly the chief financial officer of ride-sharing company Kareem. He departed this year once the $3.1 billion sale of the company to Uber was completed. Um, and we're very keen to talk to him about his experience um, with the company, but also what he's going to do next, and his general thoughts on the uh, tech startup scene. Uh, welcome, Ankur. Thanks, Mustafa. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. It, it really is. Um, we've been talking about getting you in the studio for a while now and in various uh, calendar clashes, mainly on our part, and you've been very patient at, uh, at coming through. Um, as, I, as I said, we, they completed the sale of Kareem um, for a record amount for a tech company in this region to Uber. And that really was a watershed moment for the tech startup scene. Um, it's completed. And then you um, stepped away from the company. Is that it? Are you out of the, out of the loop on Kareem now completely? Um, well, I'm I'm no longer with uh, with the company. Uh, still doing a little bit of work uh, on closing the transaction and making sure everything goes smoothly. And of course, uh, lots of uh, relationships with dear dear friends over the last uh, five years, having gone through uh, many many things together professionally and sometimes personally as well. Uh, but uh, but yes, no longer no longer full time with the company. If we go back uh, to 2013, when you arguably the professional um, relationship between you and Kareem began almost serendipitously. Um, can you kind of give us a sense of, you know, how it ended up, first of all, that you invested in the company as one of the early investors, but then from going from an, an investor to actually working day to day, you know, how did that actually happen? Yeah, as you said, uh, uh, you know, with serendipity, um, uh, we had uh, been living here in the in the UAE for uh, four years or so. Got to know uh, Magnus and Mudassar, the two founders of Kareem, uh, personally um, uh, through uh, some professional uh, connections. And uh, your uh, wife worked at McKinsey, right? My wife worked at McKinsey right? uh, together with them, and uh, and so you know, had started talking about. Um, uh, about what we kind of wanted to do uh, in our in our next chapter, and and um, uh, and in that process, I think Magnus and Mudassar decided to start Kareem, uh, and I continued to to sort of help out uh, uh, thinking about fundraising uh, and how to uh, the early stages of the business. I'd been in in sort of early stage venture capital before. Um, and so in that process, uh, we decided to make a, a, a small investment in the company as part of the, the Friends, Family and Fools round of capital. Yeah, friends, right. Fa- friends, <laughs> family. Yeah, we, we were probably the only yeah. fools in that We won't round. buy that in 2020 now. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Is that what you called yourselves back then? Uh, friends, Family and Fools? Well, we just called ourselves fools. Uh, the, the others were friends and family. But, okay. uh, um and uh, and you know it was really um, I think uh, we'd we'd sort of not done anything like that before, uh, but we felt that uh, uh, you know here are our 
two people that we really trust um, and uh, have a lot to learn from both professionally and personally. And so if there were ever a time to uh, uh, to make this investment in someone, it's, uh, it's them. In 2013, they were a year into operation. So they were ride, ride hailing was you could schedule a ride in Dubai or Abu Dhabi a year in. That's right. And Uber was that year just rolling out their affordable option. They were expanding internationally and they had investors from the likes of Jeff Bezos, Google Ventures, and Goldman Sachs. Did you look at all to Uber in 2013 as a, this is what Kareem is, Not could at be? All. Not at all. No, it wasn't even a, a thought at that time. Um, you know, yes, they had expanded uh, internationally, and then they did uh, sort of come here, uh, I think, towards the end of that year. Um, but a lot of these conversations that I referred to took place in 2012, so it was a lot earlier, uh, but you know, before all the legal stuff uh, kind of got completed. Um, and at that time, uh, I, I don't remember my my facts, but I think Uber expanded out of the U.S. into into Western Europe first, and um, and um, and you know, there just wasn't as much coverage um, as there is today. Uh, on uh, on technology, and so we didn't really, or at least I didn't uh, really, think about Uber as as sort of a benchmark or or a future uh, for what we were trying to do here, which was really a corporate solution uh, for transportation in the region, which is something that you know we had all experienced firsthand. Uh, showing up uh, to the airport in in Cairo or Riyadh, and and you know the the driver that you were used to engaging uh, was unwell or in a different part of the city or the country, and then all of a sudden you're sort of out of luck with respect to transport. So it was a very very different uh, business when it started. And you 2013, you had that relationship. You became an early investor, as you said, part of that early round, friends and family, but then. It was a couple of years later that you actually went to work for the company. That's right. Yeah. How did that evolve? So that again was uh, was serendipity. Um, you know, I think I'd I had left my prior role uh, in venture capital and was starting to think about what I'd wanted to do next. Uh, I had in the back of my mind, um, uh, kind of going back into into a startup. Um, and of course, uh, we had continued to engage uh, uh, with the with the company, and so uh, at one point uh, we began a conversation with uh, with Magnus and Mudassar uh, for for this role in in particular. And and I think it was actually very quick um, once uh, once Mudassar suggested it, because again, you know, I couldn't think of better people to to work with. Uh, and so as soon as that uh, idea sort of clicked in my in my head it almost became a no-brainer and if if we look at sort of the history of kareem up until the point where it was sold to uber one of the most remarkable things is is how well it raised funds so they there is a a public number of something like 700 million dollars that has been reported that kareem was able to raise um and I mean, certainly, even if that figure isn't exactly right, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's quite amazing if you think about it for a company in the UAE, in the Middle East and North Africa. And can you give us a sense of, was that because of Kareem as itself? Or was it sort of riding a tide of, you know, as you said, growing interest in the tech scene? And we did have eventually Amazon coming in and, and, and buying Souk. So there was this sense of, there could be 
a kind of pot of gold at the end of this if you get it right. Um, but was it a was it a fraught process? Do you think raising the money in hindsight was it hard, or did you always feel confident that? you'd be able to succeed. Oh, gosh, no. Uh, we were never confident that uh, we'd be able to succeed. I think it was always fraught and, and you know, raising uh, capital, in particular late-stage capital in the region, is still a challenging process uh, for, for everyone who's doing it uh, right now. So definitely took a lot of effort uh, and a lot of time each time we wanted to do it. Um, I think, you know, if I, if I think back to our early raises, um, we were supposed to be profitable and breaking even by 2017 with 30 million or 35 million dollars of sales. Uh, so, you know, our expectation back in 2013, 2014, when we raised the early rounds of capital, was, gosh, you know, we raised a lot of money. This is it. Uh, we're going to take this money and um, and you know and build this business and and we've done it. <laughs> and the profitability target still has not. Th- that's right. Well, the, you know, happened, now right? uh, we're doing, um, you know, we're doing, you know, hundreds of times of sales uh, of of that uh, of that number, uh, and of course, as you mentioned, we've raised a lot of capital uh, since then. But it feeds um, itself, like the, su- the cycle of success. The more money you raise, the bigger your ambitions get, the bigger your targets get. the 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 scope of the business isn't the same as it was in 2013. That's that's true. And we also had a a fierce competitor. And so at some level, you know, we had to raise uh, significant pools of capital in order to compete um, or risk getting flushed out of the business. Uh, so that, uh, of course, contributes uh, a lot to uh, you know to the dilution that we were willing to uh, to take to to stay in the game uh, as well. In terms of that fierce competitor, Uber, what effect? What was the Uber effect on you between 2015 and 2019 in terms of expansion? I mean, you look at it; you're in 15 countries, 120 cities. I imagine that's not what you stepped into in 2015. That's right, yeah. Was, was there just this sense of we've got to grow and we've got to go fast? Yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, incredibly positive on every dimension. You know, that competition helps to sharpen everybody's mind, creates urgency, um, and, um, it, you know, you sort of ha- you're forced to pick up your socks and do everything better. So recruiting better talent, uh, and they did a great job of educating talent, governments, consumers uh, about the business, and so of course made our job easier. About this as idea well. of ride hailing. Uh, that's right, um, and uh, and and so you know we were forced to do even better in order to compete uh, with them. You know, here's a company in the Middle East competing with uh, the best funded company in the history of uh, of startups uh, until that point and probably even today um, which was not a you know not an easy thing to to look in the mirror and and see and so um, uh, you know absolutely that helped us from an investor perspective as well because investors were educated about the industry and so then we uh, you know needed to focus on on the region uh, the company and ourselves as a team in order to um, in order to familiarize investors with the opportunity that we represented, um, uh, but they had at least talked about the industry. Uh, <laughs> I feel like one of the challenges for the fundraising, not just for you guys, but for for other tech startups, was that the ecosystem of of regional and UAE based VCs was quite small. It was the same funds. 
moving around and attracting funding from outside of the UAE and the Middle East, especially from Silicon Valley, which was important. You want to diversify the pool, but but to kind of bring those in, did you did you have to think about that? To think about how you would essentially sell yourself to to new VCs? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know when we started uh, our fundraise process, a lot of the VCs that are around today uh, who uh, we're grateful for their support subsequently weren't around. And so we had to think about how do we raise capital? Who do we raise our capital from? Um, we were fortunate to uh, to have raised early capital from uh, uh, STC uh, Venture Capital and from the LTIR group now called CIRA. Um, but uh, but for sure, we had to think about you know how we might uh, attract capital from overseas, in particular because there isn't a, a, a systematic sort of late stage provider of capital for the region. And so, at some point uh, after the round that uh, was led by Abraj, we had to. Uh, go overseas to raise capital. And did you find a difference like immediately in terms of how investors were responding to your business plan and your story and and what you were trying to do? Uh, Yes. I think for investors who are not in the region, um, you know, they had a lot of questions about the region. Um, obviously not as familiar with the with the region as the as the regional investors uh, uh, might be and so um, you know we did spend a lot of time educating uh, and creating awareness about the region and its idiosyncrasies with respect to our business um, I think there was another question around whether we would be able to compete with uber um, for investors who were perhaps, you know, more familiar with Uber in markets outside the region. And so those were really the two, you know, biggest sort of uh, questions that we had to uh, to work on uh, answering with respect to our, um, uh, you know, our opportunity as a company uh, and then the opportunity in the region. And if I'm a tech startup right now looking to go to these same VCs inside and outside the region to raise money, what advice would you give me? right now, given that we're in an environment that isn't necessarily quite as bullish as it was when you were raising money? Yeah. Well, uh, given that we're in an environment that has coronavirus, I'm not sure my... Forget that. (laughs) Forget (laughs) that for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's let's fast forward six months and I'm a tech startup when all this has calmed down. Yeah. Um, I think uh, for for sure you're right that... uh, uh, that the consumer internet uh, ecosystem is a, is a lot more uh, kind of sober and I might even say chastened as a result of some of the experiences we've had over the last kind of six to nine months. Globally, you're talking Globally, about, yeah. yeah. Uh, here, I think we're still uh, we're still a little bit more uh, more bullish, and that I think points to the opportunity that we have. In that, you know, we have a, a base of kind of six or seven hundred million people from uh, from Morocco to Pakistan uh, that are underserved, um, and e-commerce is a much smaller percentage of sales, consumer sales than um, than uh, even the global average, just to use as a proxy. So, so for sure, there's a, there's significant catch-up opportunity here, um, but given the general uh, a kind of slowdown in the capital markets for consumer internet. Uh, I think the burden is on us to build more sustainable businesses earlier on, 
And so while we're investing in demonstrating engagement and acquisition of users, we also need to show uh, that our unit economics defined conservatively um, and our metrics are pointing in the right direction. Can I say then that um, it's a change from the kind of almost Silicon Valley, like, what is it, move fast and break things? That's it, the Facebook thing. Okay, or, or fail quickly. Is it more about, Should you be more considered now if you're a tech startup? Worry less about how fast you can go I think and it's more a, how better the, you can go. The question is what should you be focused on? I think it still makes sense for the things that you're focused on to move fast, fail fast, and then recover and until you get it right. So my question is, so you were, in addition to being CFO at Kareem, the chief strategy officer. So at some point from ride hailing, you didn't shift focus at all, but you started to think about urban mobility in terms of bicycles, e-scooters, last mile delivery, becoming a payment solution potentially with a mobile wallet. Uh, at what point did you, from 2015 onwards, start to identify different market opportunities outside of ride hailing? Yeah. I think it was a consideration early on in that we saw a lot of engagement with our core product and having acquired this user like any of us. And also as part of our conversation of building a sustainable business too, yeah. just thinking about that. Exactly. So the question is, you know, we've spent all this time acquiring you and me as a user and now uh, we're, we're able to deliver one product uh, to that user. And then the question is, what else can we do having acquired you and me as a user? And uh, to the extent that we have last mile uh, delivery fleet, to the extent that we have a, a, an infrastructure of technology that supports large number of transactions, um, and to the extent that we had already started building a wallet that kept change from uh, your ride in a taxi or, um, uh, or a private vehicle, uh, you know, the question was, well, what are some of the other things that we can do with these assets uh, to leverage that investment we've made to acquire the customer and consequently to, to cross-sell between other pieces of the platform that could generate more uh, revenue over time while delivering convenience to the customer? And how does that process of arriving at what is a, a, a sort of genuine way of expanding the business how do you arrive at that is it is it is it literally like let's brainstorm 100 possible ideas and then how model, organically model does it them. happen yeah i mean because uh, i could sit here and come up with yeah kareem should be doing this or delivery should be doing that or uber should be doing this but what do i know i mean like how do you get from you know we're doing this core business to you know what we should do X, Y, yeah. and Z. I think that's where you know uh, failing quickly comes into uh, into uh, uh, you know into the conversation where you might have some hypotheses about hey Kareem should be delivering water, um, and then uh, you might have ten such hypotheses, and the question is how do you decide between them, right? So then you develop some principles to say well. You know, here are assets. This is what looks like it might, you know, might be complementary to our core business, and be the biggest sort of bang for the buck. Uh, and then you look at those same ten opportunities or three, with that lens of, you know, is it high frequency? Is it high margin? Uh, is it the same customer? Uh, and can we, in fact, convert them into that business uh, to then say, okay, this is the one that has the highest probability of success. Let's try it. And then if you if it doesn't work, then you've learned something about your hypothesis that you can then go back and apply to that same list. 
until you find something that's meaningful uh, in terms of value to the customer as well as big in terms of opportunity for you as a business. And do you have any lingering ideas that you're taking with you now that you're leaving Kareem that you think you can help the region with or maybe somewhere else in the world in terms of of, of an innovation or opportunity? Yeah, you know, I I, I hope so. Um, I mean, I'm still uh, one of the fools in the friends family and fools round, so I, I'm not... Uh, I don't think I have all the answers, but of course we've seen a lot of things at uh, Kareem that uh, that we had to figure out for the first time. Uh, and by definition, you know, now we we kind of did it for the second or third time and sort of figured some of those things out. Uh, and some of that knowledge and experience um, uh, and direct observation may be useful for for other people. Um, and then, of course, there's some observations around the growth of the industry and how other people are doing similar things. So, uh, so I think you know there there ought to be some value. I think remains to be seen whether there there uh, in fact is. I'm gonna try to get a word in edgewise here. <laughs> <laughs> is it just? Does it feel like it's just me? Okay. You got so many questions. You have so many okay. questions. No, it's a good thing. Ankur is a great guy to talk to. It's it's constructive he criticism. He it's is. not a. Uh, it's uh, just. It, I'll, I'll just be quiet. It's, <laughs> so, but. Urban mobility has changed so much since 2013 in terms of how people get around in a city these days. And I wonder, are we hitting sort of peak car? Our trips are getting shorter. We're becoming more cognizant of our carbon footprint, that sort of thing. People are more willing to hop on a bicycle or, uh, you know, what are the mobility trends that you see that are most exciting to you that actually present growth opportunities? Is it driverless cars? Is it great batteries like what are the things you're seeing and taking with you from your learnings at Kareem in terms of passenger behavior that that you see in the next 10 years is really going to change the look of how we get around yeah i think um you know uh, affordability convenience uh and speed are probably from a customer perspective still the most important ones will endure over any trend that's right and so then you can construct trends around those things uh, but equally from uh, urban planning and sort of quality of life perspective congestion uh, pollution uh, are uh, kind of detractors right so while uh, you know traveling in um, uh, as a single passenger in a large car might be, affordable to some, convenient to some, and speedy to some, it may not be as valuable from an urban planning and quality of life perspective. And so I think we married those two things together. Uh, over time, uh, affordable, convenient, um, fast, and probably compromise on on some of these things, but uh, and then sort of decongestants and depollutants are obviously going to become more and more important. Um, I, I'll ask because um, you were CFO, and it'd be good to kind of understand at a fast-growing tech company what does that mean. But also, are you ready, or do you see yourself as a CFO guy, or could you be a founder? And then Kelsey and I have talked a lot about the PayPal effect. You know, when a lot of people left that company and then went on to do great things, um, and the expectation is that Kareem and other successful tech companies in the region will create that that generation. 
I mean, so do, yeah. do you see yourself as part of that? Yeah, so absolutely. That trend has already um, has already kicked off. Uh, you know, there's uh, several dear friends who are you know starting or joining early stage uh, companies, and in fact, have already uh, achieved a, a significant level of scale in some cases. So I think we are seeing the Kareem effect, not just from a founding team perspective, but also from a overall kind of tech ecosystem perspective. We created a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, wealth and understanding of ESOPs as a compensation tool. Uh, and so now What's there's e- equity, uh, employee stock right, option plan. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of people who've now had a positive experience with a startup uh, that are then taking that experience into their professional lives uh, and uh, uh, attempting to replicate that journey uh, elsewhere. So I I think for sure uh, the maturity of the talent pool with respect to tech and startups in the region has improved uh, or has grown significantly. Now there's also um, you know uh, an understanding that uh, uh, that that this was really a remarkable. Uh, kind of event, and not everything is is you know uh, going to be uh, as as successful at least monetarily, experience wise. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, richness in every every experience, but the law of startups is that you know some of them succeed, um, and the but vast most majority, of them fail. Uh, the vast majority don't. So I, I think so, you know, we're on that journey. And to your mind, what could the UAE do tomorrow to increase opportunity for entrepreneurs who are waking up? Um, with newfound wealth off of Kareem's success? Yeah, you know, I think uh, we're already doing a lot uh, to promote uh, the UAE as a as a base of operations uh, around the region. So I think that uh, trend obviously, uh, you know, ought to, ought to continue as we try to diversify our own economy and attract the best and brightest from, uh, from around the world. Uh, so I think that we're seeing a lot of um, a, a lot of effort in uh, in making it uh, an easier place for talent to uh, to arrive and then to to set up and build. Uh, so so for sure those are all very very positive. I think uh, in addition, uh, the opportunity here uh, uniquely uh, is regional as opposed to uh, you know just in the UAE, and so. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of kind of openness to to setting up business in other parts of the region as well, which will certainly help um, and unifying sort of our ability to cross border and, and transact across borders uh, will also help. Uh, Ankur Shah, thanks so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And we hope you'll come back again. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Kelsey Warner, thanks for being with us. Thank you. You'll definitely be back. I hope so. Yes, it's good. Um, Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Global oil demand is set to contract in 2020, the first full year of decline in more than a decade. Etihad Airways is in a better position to deal with industry-wide challenges at this stage of its five-year transformation plan as it pursues a back-to-basics approach, its chief executive Tony Douglas said. And Android smartphones lose trade-in value twice as fast as Apple iOS-powered iPhones according to a report that tracks annual price depreciation of gadgets. That's it for today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Do leave a review and subscribe. Um, All that's left is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Please do join us again next time.